Hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast, and now kind of a video cast about the future new ideas in science, consumer products based on science, sometimes even a little bit of a view of the future. And maybe we'll touch on all of that here today. I'm here with uh, uh, Nieves Martinez Marshall from Novel Farms and uh, a company that uh, intends, is it fair to say, to revolutionize uh, meat as a food and our approach to meat as a food. Uh, great to have you here. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for inviting me to talk about Novel Farms. Oh, happy to. So uh, let's want to just start with the basics. So Novel Farms, what does it do? So we're a food tech company. Uh, in particular, we're a cultivated meat company that makes whole cuts of meat uh, using stem cells. And in the field, there are a number of companies doing similar stuff. However, we focus specifically and in the structure, in making something that really resembles muscle. Right. So so the idea is that if you just have, oh, pork cells, uh, you've got pork cells, but pork steak has a lot more going on than just pork cells. Exactly. It's got meat and muscle and fat and all of these kinds of things uh, mixed together in a way that we would all recognize as the object itself. And that's what you mean by whole cuts, right? It Mm -hmm. It looks like what it is. It has the same kind of structure as uh, the actual uh, product. It's not just a pile of pork cells um, that you pile on rice or something. Exactly. So the key um, word here is connective tissue. So um, muscle cells in particular need a surface to attach to in order to form muscle, muscle fibers. So the difference between um, a burger or sausages, et cetera, is that you can, you know, make, you know, put them together, the cells, and then have a sausage. However, for a whole cut, you need a connective tissue or how we call it scaffolding, like a, a, a surface where cells can grow and for a, form a three-dimensional structure. And the connective tissue or scaffolding is form of a lot of, you know, structural proteins. And that's what uh, it's our specialty. My co-founder and I, we, we did research on macromolecules throughout the years. And that's why we came up with this uh, way of solving the problem of structure. Got it. So from our conversations, I know you have a particularly interesting focus on what kind of whole cuts uh, to go for, not just any old kind of thing, but something very specific and kind of related to your heritage. Yes, so um, our scaffolding technology is species agnostic, which means we can do pork, we can do beef, any type of, of, of animal, right? However, because where I come from, as you said, I come from Spain and there's a particular breed of pigs uh, that uh, are, you know, found there, like since the Neolithic, <laughs> you know, it's like the ancestral pig called Iberian pigs. Uh, and they have a, a very exceptional meat. It's particularly red. You know, the, the fats are rich in oleic acid, which means healthy fats. And so when we were thinking about making, um, you know, a meat product, the first, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like, we have to do Iberian pork. And, you know, like 
pig has lost a lot of, or pork has lost a lot of the taste and the, the flavor through the years, through the process of breeding for commercial you know, purposes. So we want to bring back the original you know, pork meat that is more flavorful and healthier. Got it. And so where are you? And so can we come by the office and see something that looks like a giant, uh, you know, pork leg hanging from the ceiling? Or is it little teeny tiny uh, test things? Uh, uh, how far along are you in actually being able to deliver what you just described? Uh, yeah. So we just recently, last week, uh, showed, showed the world our pork loin prototype. So right now we are two in the team, like my co-founder, Michelle and I. So we were able to do like, you know, a whole cut. Uh, and now we are raising our seed round so that we can increase, you know, the production capacity and do a tasting so that everybody can, can have a, a little piece. I can't wait. Uh, now, technically, this is still not legal, right? At least not in the U.S. that it's so new that if you're making alternative protein out of plants, you can do it. If you're making alternative protein out of stem cells from that actual creature and brewing it, developing it in the lab, there are only a couple of places on earth right now where you can actually serve that to folks. So uh, how do you feel about the risks of essentially driving in the train at high speed, not knowing when the track is gonna get built in front of you? Well, they're like, um, in the news, there's been like a lot of governments are putting a step forward and like, for instance, dedicating money for research. Like uh, now uh, South Korea is, has joined the, you know, the, the train. Uh, China is also interested in cultivated meat. Uh, so we see a lot of movement and interest in the field. And uh, we know from the companies, you know, leading the industry that there's been a lot of, you know, building commercial plants and they're closer in conversations with the FDA and USDA. Uh, we started the conversations very recently. And so, so we know it's going to happen. We just don't know when. <laughs> Yeah, we believe, obviously, uh, uh, we're investors in this space, and, and we feel, and I think this summer is showing that food production, meat production needs to be decoupled from the traditional approaches because of environmental concerns, because of global warming, because of political instability and a lot of different things. Environmentally, so does this use a lot of energy? Does this use a lot of water? Uh, clearly, pigs don't suffer if if the food is created this way and they're not rooting around in styes, creating methane and all that. But how does this stack up environmentally to the traditional ways of making Iberian pork or any other meat? Well, uh, yeah, the, the first measure is, yeah, reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions because we don't have to, you know, breed, raise, you know, throughout years and then slaughter animals. So that it's, you know, it's completely uh, eliminated. And um, at the same time, also land, you know, to, to raise cattle, you need a lot of land. We already at capacity. So there's not gonna end with climate change and we're gonna have areas where there's not gonna be, you know, enough, enough pasture for, for the animals. So eventually we will be, forced to move into cultivated meat, you know, uh, processes. And it's just a matter of time. So we need to be ready for, 
for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's inevitable. I also have this mental picture of, I'm not sure if it's my grandkids or great grandkids, but relatively soon in history, we're going to get that reaction of, wait, let me get this straight. You took these little animals and you grew them up and you penned them and then you killed them so that you had food to eat. That's barbaric. How could you have done that when clearly food comes from clean, efficient, nearby facilities and uh, it can have all the properties we need? It just sounds like caveman, like that exactly. you guys uh, used to get your food that way. Yeah, and there are many other um, industries that have benefited from advances in technology, like you know how we we produce insulin nowadays without using animals is one example, right? So it's just um, you know natural evolution, I would say. Um, but of course, the first breaking, you know, like coming out first and like you know educating people to understand that it's you know, real meat and that is safe to eat right. is going to be, of course, a challenge for all of us. Yep. But one, I think that's certainly overcomable. And, and we believe that what you're doing and others like you is really important and very valuable because it's not kind of like pork. It's pork. It's not kind of like beef. It's beef. And all of the vegetable alternatives, as good as they are, and they're very good, uh, uh, aren't exactly the same thing. So we think there's a place for exactly we, the same thing. Yeah, and also I think it's important to not only have unstructured products, but we also need to show uh, the, the stakes and, right. and those products as well. And that, you know, minimize the number of additives or, you know, fillers. Like what our goal is to have, you know, just muscle cells, fat cells, and the scaffold or the connective tissue to and make the cells grow on this, like as the same happens when a mother is bearing a child, like right. growing a child inside, right? Like if that is, the, you know, a woman can do it, like we can replicate that process as well. And, uh, you know, the skeptics, and there are skeptics about this, essentially say price, that, that uh, lab grown meat is so expensive and doing it is so difficult that a the price will never get even close to the current market price and therefore it's inherently elitist and billionaires will have it but normal folks will never be able to afford it and that there, it'll never be possible to grow enough of it to really make a difference uh, what's your response to that well first i would say i you know, there are other uh, technologies that were very expensive in the beginning, like, for instance, the genome sequence of uh, a human, uh, you know, like and nowadays everybody's doing 23andMe and getting the, you know, the sequence analyzed. Right. Um, so that's going to cultivate meat is kind of going to follow the same process or even like faster. And what I can say is that the main uh, cost driver is the the soup we feed the cell right. like the culture media and uh there are ways to uh kind of reduce though that you know that uh, uh the price of the media and with our technology in particular we are able to kind of like um uh, not need to buy particular growth factors which is you know the ingredients are very right. very expensive 
we we are not going to need three of them. So our costs already, you know, are reduced dramatically. And all the things that you can do to uh, when you scale, for instance, the cost of glucose or amino acids, et cetera, then you buy in bulk and, you know, uh, so by scaling, we're going to reduce the, the costs. Uh -huh. So, you know, when you do count everything and all that, we see that we are able to get to price parity already, at least on the theoretical model, techno-economical And it may be good to give folks a little background here who don't talk about this every day. So obviously, to grow, cells need food of some kind, and that's what you're talking about. You have to feed them something, uh, what they would in nature get from their mother uh, or from the slop. Uh, bucket or whatever. And one of the keys here in early experimentation is to find cell lines that are very efficient, that take what you're giving them and produce a lot of growth, produce a lot of uh, the right kinds of output, and eventually get to the point where you don't need this kind of outside uh, uh, support or very little of it to get progress uh, and the kinds of uh, outcomes you're looking for. Fair statement, not fair statement. What did I get right? What did I get wrong? Uh, yeah, that's correct. One of the ways of reducing the, the cost of production is by selecting cell lines that are extremely fast and you know, grow very fast and have you know, particular properties. Uh, the other way, as I said, it was the through the culture media or through scaffolding. So we are more like leaning towards uh, the, those approaches, but there are the companies that are like working on selecting the cell lines. Got it. So what's your biggest worry right now and what's your biggest hope right now? Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, my biggest worry would be, uh, well, for us, we're not engineers. So the process of scaling is, is the most unknown at the moment. But, you know, we're hoping to hire, you know, a team where we can tackle those those uh, challenges. But, yeah, scaling is one of the things that it's um, the most unknown for us. So, you know, making it, you know, making bioreactors efficient enough to produce enough meat for everyone. Because the things like to really fulfill the demand, the future demand, we really need to build you know, large uh, commercialization yeah. plans. So that's my my biggest uh, fear. But I guess that's something that is solvable by just, <laughs> you know, raising money and, you know, working on it. Uh, and my biggest hope is, yeah, to to have Ramon or like Iberico, uh, you know, the, in, in the U.S. so that, you know, everybody can enjoy it. And it's just like, I can't wait to to, to see that. And just the same way I, as I eat impossible burger and it's like, oh my God, it tastes just like, you know, real burger is that feeling that knowing that people are enjoying that. Because Now you're a scientist by background. Why didn't you stay a scientist? Why did you decide to take this kind of risk as opposed to sort of stay in, you know, the leafy grove <laughs> of academe or whatever? Well, it was kind of like certain, like, down by like a decision that by no, not accident, I would not say accident, but I'm driven by challenges. So uh, I was kind of motivated to take this challenge and I took it without really thinking, oh, I want to do a startup. You know, I was more like, I want to solve this problem. So, and the problem was, 
you know, making vegan collagen and thinking of an application for it is when I realized cultivated meat industry needed, you know, scaffolds that are scalable and affordable. So in that moment, I was not thinking I'm starting a company. I was more like, oh, I want to, I want to solve this problem. And that's how I got hooked. And then people started saying I should be the CEO, which I took it like as a, oh, really? Like, I'm a, I've been always a lab rat. And I kind of felt, yeah, okay, let's change a, a little bit the, you know, the, the process. And also, I wanted to learn new things. So it's really fun to be kind of leading like the, the science, talking to my co-founder about the scientific problems, and then translating that into, you know, in a more like simpler way to kind of like get funding and like learn about finance and accounting and everything. So it's like everything new. So it's super fun. Got um, it. And so there are two of you now, but obviously as you succeed, there will be more than two of you. And uh, so how are you preparing yourself for, uh, for that, for new people, for recruiting, for building a company structure for dealing with grocery stores or whatever as this goes from being a lab project to being an actual company? Well, I we're pretty much ready. We, uh, we already set up our headquarters, the office, the lab, everything is ready to, you know, welcome people in. And, and yeah, all the other challenge of management and all that is something that I've been you know, like at school, like while doing my postdoc, taking classes at the, you know, Haas and like Berkeley Law and like all the management and all, all the intricacies of business. So at least, you know, I got the fun fundamentals and um, I'm really excited about having people and, and doing things as a team and as a larger team. So a year from now, we get back together and do this again. What do you think the company will be like and how do you think you'll be different? Uh, well, next year we will have a bioreactor prototype that is gonna be use very little volume, not many growth factors gonna be very affordable and I'm excited to kind of like start using that and making much more material and have tastings, you know, with chefs and everyone and start, you know, making partnerships. And how will I change? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I I guess I'll be. I really want to start having you know a team and more people and be a BCB with you know I'm a social bat butterfly I guess. Got it. Well, um, so let's do that. Let's get together a year from now and see how it all uh, is uh, is coming out. We've been really impressed. I think with how much you've accomplished so far and. Uh, I love real uh, Iberico ham. For anybody who hasn't had it, uh, Iberico ham is to ham what, I don't know, uh, uh, ambrosia is to regular food. I mean, it's like on a different planet from uh, mm -hmm. regular ham. So it's, you're going for the highest of the high. So it's really going to be uh, fun yeah, to see how you get the, there. So first we do, we do the fresh cut, and then we have partners in Spain who you know, they have like the, one of the largest uh, ham production facilities. Like we were there, there were like 1.8 million hams. <laughs> they know the process very well. So we're excited to give them like a piece of our cultivated meat and like put it there and like check it a year later and see how it tastes and right. uh, 
that's going to be super exciting. Right. Because this is, this is cured. It takes a while to make. It's not just yes. to grow yes. it needed. And I feel like in the U.S., like I, you know, it's something that the same way the Japanese brought sushi. And at first everybody was like, oh, raw fish, you know, now everybody's mm-hmm. eating sushi. So that's what I want to do with jamon, <laughs> you know, have it like everywhere, like little bocadillos, little sandwiches, mm-hmm. snacks, and, and it's just like a treat, you know. Sounds good to me. Look forward to it. Uh, we could go on for a long time, but I think we've probably taken up all of our time for today. So thank you. And uh, let's get back together uh, a year from now or whenever you're ready to have folks start tasting this. And then we can talk about uh, that experience and growth uh, in both the food and the company. Thank you so much for having me. And, and yeah, let me just blabber about our farms. And, <laughs> and thank you so much for being one of the very first supporters of Noble Farms. Happy to do so. It, uh, 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 we have a lot of faith in you and a lot of interest in what you're doing. Can't wait to see how it all comes out.